0: you see people like Lester Holt and Mario Lopez and Robin Mead doing their thing on TV, you have to know they started somewhere. Mm -hmm. And they did. They started with renowned agent and prolific author Ken Lidner. His latest book is Career Choreography, Your Step-by-Step Guide to Finding the Right Job and Achieving Huge Success and Happiness. Hi, Ken. (laughs)
1: Hi, Cooper. How are you?
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You know, um, before we get into the book and what you do, and the fact that years ago I almost worked with you, by the way. Um, whenever I read anything that you've done or see you being interviewed, you are so positive. I mean, you are—you have one of those energies that you are just really always positive and happy. How do you maintain that? Not just in this society in general, but certainly like this year with COVID and everything—just terrible. How do you stay so positive?
1: Well, Cooper, you know, the thing is, is that I'm healthy. I'm talking with you. I mean, my family is healthy. I look at my blessings. And also, athletics have always taught me to stay even keel. Don't get too down when you lose. Don't get too up when when you win. Just relax. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just feel like, I'm alive. You know, if I make a mistake, hopefully it's not a, an egregious mistake, but mm-hmm. through my positive choices, I can lift my life each day. And I figure, you know what? I'm breathing. I'm here. All's great.
0: That's a good answer. It's very, see, again, inspiring. Even that little, little tiny piece of morsel <laughs> is so inspiring. And I'm glad you brought up sports. So I think it's really interesting that you would say that because there's so much research on the idea that like sports in high school and in college and just doing sports gives you like, it teaches you um, coping mechanisms and strategy. You know, if you lose, you have to figure out how to win the next time and, and also like reevaluate what you did and didn't do. And it's, you know, it's not, It's not do or die. It's like, did I throw the ball hard enough? You know, so it's, it's such a great lesson. I'm glad you brought that up because I've always felt like sports are really important.
1: Cooper, I've learned more on the athletic field than I ever learned in any classroom uh, about real life navigation. So I think sports is a great way to uh, learn great life lessons. And also I'm a tennis player. So when you're playing singles and tennis, it's not like you have a coach that's out there saying, oh, you're having a bad day or a bad hour or a bad moment. I'm going to substitute in for you. And playing singles in tennis is the survival of the smarter, fitter, uh, and more creative and more adaptive individual. Mm-hmm. So sport has taught me a lot. It's taught me how to, you know, as I say, stay focused, keep my equilibrium, stay poised, and figure out a better way and it's constructive decision making at its best hopefully
0: i love that anthony before i ask him a million questions i know you have a question you want to get in here <laughs> <laughs> hi anthony
2: hey how you doing i'm <laughs> <are you>? great <laughs> so how did you get into the world of promotion of what you do how did how did you get into it agenting agenting yeah.
1: <laughs> well i sort of fell into it it's interesting because here's the person who talks about choreography, which by its very nature is a logical set of steps consciously taken to achieve a goal. But when it came to my profession, I fell into it. And what happened was was that I was just about to take a job at uh, an entertainment law firm back in New York City, where I'm from. And I realized that the chief... uh, um, talent agency or client of that law firm was this major talent agency. And I knew that my dad was best friends growing up with the president of the agency at that Hmm. point. So I asked my dad if he would set a meeting for me to meet with that person. Mm -hmm. And that way I'd become friendly with the president of our biggest client. Smart. And when I met with him in, in Los Angeles, we hit it off he told me all about the people business, how they represented Elvis and the Beatles and Billy Joel and Barbara Walters and Al Pacino and Dustin Hoffman. The names went on and on. And I just was so taken with being involved with people, seeing what can be, and figuring out the steps to help them get to where they want them to go. Mm-hmm. I love working with people. And at the end of the night, I decided, well, he made me an offer. And I decided to work for that agency rather than take the job at that entertainment law firm. I worked for half the money the firm was going to pay me, Mm -hmm. but it was the best decision I ever made. (laughs) And then I wound up bringing in clients, one of whom was an anchor in New York. And one thing led to another, and I became an agent in the news and hosting area and then moved out to Los Angeles and then formed my own company about 33 years ago.
2: So what, what did you say oh, in that what did you say in that initial meeting that made him say I gotta hire this guy?
1: I told him that I put myself through school with different businesses, so I think he liked the fact that I was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He liked the fact that I focused on contract law in law school, and that I told him all sorts of stories about how I marketed my company to various prospective clients. And I think he felt, oh my God, he was made to do this. But the way he worked, it was instead of starting in the mailroom, he choreographed uh, a step-by-step process of my learning how to be an agent by being an attorney first. And I thought it was a great way to do it because it took advantage of my legal skills as well.
0: Right. I mean, you guys do, do a lot of contracts. It's amazing how many agents I've worked with in the past who start out as lawyers, it makes perfect sense because you, you, you need to understand contracts. But one of the things that you guys do that I think is really fascinating because, you know, I just just from friends of mine that have been through this and as somebody who has had agents my entire life, you know broadcasting companies and networks they try and squeeze everything out of you and they're not always completely ethical and even though they come out and they say you know here's what's in the contract here's what your client is going to do when you're on a set or when you're actually working things come up all the time that are I'm going to call them unexpected but they're really unethical so we have to be squeaky clean it is your job to be the bad guy so how do you handle that how do you how do you do that bad guy role and still be this wonderful, positive person um, when you really have to defend your clients against these people that are truly taking advantage of them?
1: Well, first of all, I look at um, my role, except when I'm negotiating a contract, as collaborative. And I try to have really good relationships based on trust with the people that I deal with. And because I represent the caliber of people I do, I also have some clout with them. As a result, when there's something that goes on that is not great for my client, I can get to a person who can remedy the situation because of my relationships. And hopefully, you know, I make a reasonable enough argument that they do what we need them to do to make sure that my client isn't in any way injured. Um, And also we make, I try to make things a win-win. I try to make it a situation where my client is great for their employer because my client's success is their success and mm. vice versa. So I want my client to be as successful as I can for the employer that they're working for because I want them to get the best deal next time around because they're of such huge value to those employers. So I do take things most of the time in a very positive way because I think it's, it, it, it works. You get more flies with honey most of the time. Than vinegar, as my dad <laughs> used to teach me. But my mom also-
0: says that. That's my mother's quote mm-hmm. too. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, I have the you- needle point somewhere. <laughs> oh, thank you, mom. But the <laughs> other part,
1: of it, you also you also need leverage. I mean, you know, I I think that you know if they if a particular employer doesn't treat my client well, they're probably not going to want to work for them again. If my client's really a great talent, you want them to stay there. It's a mutually beneficial situation. Mm-hmm. So there's a positive way I think most times to um, to communicate with someone, so we make it a win win for everyone.
0: Right, right. Uh, your book is called Career Choreography: Your Step by Step Guide to Finding the Right Job and Achieving Huge Success and Happiness. So I want to pick that apart for a second because, so aside from buying your book, obviously, what what is a first step that somebody could take that could make them happier at their job. I think, you know, we're living in a time now where people are afraid to step away if they're unhappy because they don't want to be unemployed now of all times. So what, what's the first step?
1: Well, Cooper, the first step, I think, is to think about what it is you really love about past jobs or your current job because what you want to do is take a job or go to a job which, A, makes you really happy that you a job you love doing B, you want to take a job that you believe in that makes you feel good about what you do i mean i love representing people i love finding people i love choreographing the steps to take them from where they are to where they can be hmm. i love seeing the can be in people hmm. and the third step is to take a job and this speaks to your point cooper um The third step is to take a job, in essence, that you're really good at, that takes great advantage of your skill sets, of your educational background, and of your work background. Because if you love what you do, if you feel good about what you do, you'll be happy. If you take a job which takes great advantage of what makes you special and that you're good at, you'll also, in all likelihood, be successful. So those three tips I give to people all the time because they're important. So if you want to love what you do, do something you're really good at, and that makes your heart sing.
2: But what if there's none of those jobs available?
1: (laughs) Well, I think, Anthony, what I would do is I'd make a list of the things that I really like to do, that I would love to do, and that I don't want to do in a particular
2: job.
0: Is there a job just eating chocolate? Is that a job? Right. It might be maybe they need a chocolate, <laughs> chocolate <business> someone. <laughs> right? You know,
1: remember I love Lucy and the chocolate uh,
2: mm-hmm. Oh yeah.
0: yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was my inspiration. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, I really think what you want to do is is really dig down deep and know yourself. Know what will, you know, know what will make you happy in a job. Know what will give you purpose and meaning and fulfillment. And if you can't get the ideal job, maybe there's a choreography to get you there. For example, in my book, Career Choreography, I talk about a young lady named Heidi who was graduating from college. Her dream was to be immersed in the art field. She loved going to art galleries. She loved art museums. She loved going to openings of art museums or art galleries. She said to me, you know, how do I do that? I'm I'm graduating from college and, you know, I'm an English major. So I gave her the choreography of lead with your strength, which is your writing. You're an excellent writer, but you need to get into the art game. So what you do is let's look for a job for you writing for an art magazine that gets you into the game. Mm-hmm. OK, a particle in motion attracts other particles in motion. Get in motion in the field that you want to be in. Well, what happened was she started interviewing all of these owners of art galleries. And two years later, one of them said, would you like to come to work for me as the manager of my art gallery? Well, the wow. answer was a resounding yes. Five years later she wound up owning an art gallery. She learned everything about running an art gallery from that job. The next step was owning an art gallery and she wound up co-owning an art gallery with someone. And she was able to make her heart sing because Hmm. she's immersed in the field of art. She owns an art gallery. She's doing charitable events at her art gallery. All the things that make her heart sing she was able to attain, and the key was she led with her strength, which is one of the strategies that I talk about right. in career choreography.
0: you know I wonder I was as you were talking about how you went in for one job and ended up with another, you know how did that shape the advice you give people because i mean you 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 walk the walk. I mean, I think that's really interesting. The same thing happened like for example, you know i my background is in theater, my mother's a theater producer, and I was like. I'll probably have a career in theater and I was writing plays and stuff like that, but it was really tough. It was tough to get work because, you know, it's, it's theater. I mean, you, you understand the, the industry. So, um, I was with some friends and they said, you should be in radio. You, you've, you've the personality for that. You should be in radio, like give up theater. I mean, they didn't want to say you're a terrible actress and you're an okay writer. But they were right. I mean, I literally I, I went for my very first radio job and I have not stopped working since. And I okay. think that's kind of what happened to you, that sometimes you don't know what you're good at. You don't know where you belong and someone else kind of tells you. So how do you give advice to people to actually listen to that? Because I could have said radio. What are you crazy? I'm in theater, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't do that. I, I, I pursued something that I pursued the door that opened rather than the ones that kept closing in my face.
1: Well, you know, I really am somebody, Cooper, who walks the walk, because what happened was when I graduated from law school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I worked for a corporate law firm doing, doing securities and antitrust over the summer, and that made me realize what I don't want to do. Yeah, that doesn't sound <laughs> fun at all.
2: That, was, that sounds like uh, a complete uh, nightmare.
0: Yeah, and Ken, Ken uh, I don't even know you, it, and I could tell that that would bore the heck out of you. It was the most
1: <laughs> warm and, most, most uh, conformist, most sterile. I mean, I can't tell you. It mm-hmm. just, it wasn't me. And I love right. working with people, not projects or not paperwork. Um, there are a lot, there are a lot more people out there who are great at uh, at drafting a document. My gift, or at least my passion is to work with people. So what I did was just like I talk about in my book, I drafted what I now call a clarifying list and wrote down all the things I want to do, I would love to do, and all the things I don't want to do, which is pretty much everything about that law firm. Mm-hmm. But what happened was I wrote down, I love working with people. I love marketing. I've always been an entrepreneur. I love contract law. And I wrote about five or six things down that when I was offered the job at this major talent agency. And the other law firm or the law firm I was about to work at was offering more than twice what I was going to make at this major agency. I realized that everything I wanted to do, that whole clarifying list, the agency job met. Hmm. I'd be an entrepreneur at some point because I'd be in charge one day of my own department or at least helping to build a department and marketing the agency to various prospective clients I love working with people. I love seeing what people can be. And everything is, as Cooper mentioned earlier, is contractual at an agency. It's either a contract between the agency and the client or the client and a network or an employer. Hmm. So it met all my criteria. So I wound up taking the job at the talent agency for less than half the money. But I felt if I was truly happy and good at what I did, the money, the success, and everything else would come.
0: And they did. So, on your list, so that, that's really one of the pieces of advice that you give in the book and, and in general is that people need to really sit down and make that list and be honest about the things that really matter to them. And sometimes money should, unless money is the only thing that's important to you. So, is the idea that that list is unique to each person? Do you have certain things that you think should be on that list? No,
1: it's totally unique to that person. And it's not what your mom or dad wants you to do it's not what your spouse wants you to do it's not what significant others want you to do this has to be a list that is from here your heart mm-hmm. you've got to really search down deep don't be defensive don't be scared we're all afraid sometimes of taking risks and 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 veering from you know the tried and true course or the comfortability that we've achieved don't be afraid just go for it. But the key is, this is a very personal list. It should be the things you want to do. Because remember, it's your life. It's your decision. Don't don't live a life or don't live somebody else's life. And don't, don't be guided by other people's expectations because one day you're going to wind up resenting it and being bitter that you didn't follow your own heart, your own dreams. Right, Live your life.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest thing to do because, you know, we all, especially like my generation and younger, like we all still live in the shadow of like making our parents happy. And, you know, they like my my parents were kind enough to pay for college. So I kind of feel obligated, you know, to do all the things they had on my list. So I think that's the hardest thing. It's great advice, Ken. I mean, that's amazing advice. But I don't know how many of us could actually do that.
1: Well. I must tell you, I've had a, a couple of experiences where you know I, I woke up at night in a sweat. I looked like uh, you know Linda Blair uh, and <laughs> the exercise. I mean, because I was afraid I wouldn't get my dad's approval. Mm-hmm. But I found, but I found out later at the end of the day, my parents want me to be happy, and the way I'm happy is by following my dreams, not theirs, and and not being guided by their subjective insecurities or or just great expectations. You know, most parents want the best for their children, but it may not be the best in their mind, may not be what's best for the child. I mean, I can't tell you, I have two great friends who um, both got quite ill, because in both cases, uh, their parents put so much pressure on them to be a doctor. And they just weren't interested in being a doctor, right. and they were conflicted, and they were they got sick. Neither of them wound mm. up pursuing med school, and both of them uh, turned out to be incredibly healthy, happy, and productive, pursuing what they needed to pursue. Mm. And in fact, one of the mothers was angry at me because I persuaded one of them to take a year off before med school because I really felt <laughs> that they were pursuing, <laughs>
0: you know, the wrong dream. Right. Right. I, mean, I, home my, I love that you're family, the bad influence. Ken, I love that I was, you like Harvard educated, <laughs> you're the bad influence. <laughs>
1: yes, I was the bad influence. This mom was not happy with me, but you know what? Turned out to be the best thing in the world right? for mm. my friend, for my friend.
0: Yeah, of
2: course. Yeah. I mean, with my two kids, I just, I, I don't care what they do. I don't care how much money they make as long as they don't hate getting up in the morning. That's all. I don't care. Anthony, you know.
1: I so agree. I feel the same way. We have two children as well. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think that if you get out of bed and you actually have a little step to your uh, step going to the bathroom that you're happy to go to work, but it's the ones that don't want to get out of bed and don't want to go to work. That's, that's what I worry about.
1: You know, life is, life is, we've, we've learned in the pandemic, you know, there's a fragility to life and health. And, you know, not that I say you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the key is enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. And we spend so much time working. Do something you love. I mean, think about it. How much time, how much of our lives we spend working? Do something that you're good at and that you love, if hey, possible. How,
0: how much, how much, Ken, uh, quick question about broadcasting. So how much has the broadcasting world changed since when you first started? And, and what are the, what are the differences? Well.
1: God, there's so many changes since I first started. First of all, uh, cable didn't exist then to any great degree. There were, certainly wasn't the internet. You know, base, basically, you had local stations, you had the networks, and they—that's where that's where all the advertising dollars went, and that's where all the viewers were. But then cable came around, and you had you know places like MSNBC and the Fox News Channel and CNN, and that started that started to take. Uh, viewers away from broadcast television. Hmm. Now you have the internet that's taking people away from cable, that's taking people away from broadcast. And now the, you know, the advertising dollar is being, you know, sort of divvied up to so many more potential sources. So it's it's very different than it was then. Uh, I, I hope all eggs ex- can coexist. But, you know, young people generally don't watch broadcast television the way we all used to. We used to, even in my dad's day, gather around the TV and watch, you know, Walter Cronkite or, or Huntley Brinkley or whoever was there. And then later Tom Brokaw and, and Dan Rather and Peter Jennings. Mm.
2: And what about the radio world?
1: You know, I don't know as much about the radio world, um, Anthony. I don't really work in it very much, so I can't really... I can't really speak to it. I Mm. I, I occasionally make a radio deal, but it's not my area of expertise. That's
0: okay, you're not missing much. (laughs) 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 We've we've been at it collectively between us probably over 20 years at this point. So But um, I can't
1: I can say something, Cooper and Anthony, about radio. I will tell you some of the very, very, very best television people have come out of radio, whether Mm. it was Larry King or Ryan Seacrest. I mean so many people because radio you know better than I do you're ad-libbing you're you're talking you're not on script you're you're authentic and I will tell you I love taking people from radio and putting them in TV because they are so comfortable ad-libbing
2: hmm. right yeah that's the thing when you watch a local news channel and they go to uh you know talk amongst yourselves and they have no idea where to go it's because so they're not
0: awkward <laughs> I, I don't know what
2: to do <laughs> it's not on the, it's not on the teleprompter help me so that's what i laugh at local news when they do that
0: yeah right. no even well, even national yeah. i've i've seen them on on the today show with like they just keep repeating the same thing over and over because they don't know what to say and that's the today show i think look it's hard it's hard it's hard to do people say all the time you know how do you we have we have like a comedian on the show for example and the comedian's like how do you talk for so many hours every day and have things to say? Because they're so used to their set, you know, mm-hmm. just the way people that do news are used to the teleprompter.
1: Right. That's why I think radio is a tremendous um, foundation developing art for TV uh, for me. So when somebody says I'm coming from radio, I immediately light up because right. you all have skills that many broadcast journalists have to develop or, or just never do develop mm-hmm. because you have this opportunities as, as Anthony said to just talk. Right. And people are uncomfortable with that. You're not used to it. They're used to having scripts. They're used to um, dealing with a minute 43 story and that's it. Right.
2: When somebody, when somebody finishes your new book, what is the one thing you want them to carry with them?
0: Yeah. What's the takeaway? What's the yeah. main takeaway? Well, I think
1: it's really important to find a job. I, I've got two takeaways. One, um, it's really important to find a job that takes great advantage of your skill sets. That I mean, for example, Oprah Winfrey was a very, very, very good anchor in Baltimore. But when she went to Chicago to become the host of AM Chicago, which became the Oprah Winfrey show, I mean, she's the most successful host of all time. Mm-hmm. And what that what that says to me is. For everyone out there, find a vehicle that showcases your gifts, that takes advantage of your gifts, because you put yourself in the best position to succeed. Hmm. So understand what makes you special, understand what makes your heart sing, understand what triggers your professional passions, and try to take a job that, you know, that uh, coalesces all of those things. The second thing is, and we talked about this at the beginning of this interview, my positivity. You know, here's the thing. The definition of career choreography is there is a logical set of steps that anyone can take to put the percentages in their favor that they will attain their professional dreams and goals. The key is to find and choreograph those logical steps. So my feeling is you can attain, you have a great chance to attain Whatever you want. And of course, nobody's going to attain everything they want. And some people, you know, I will never be a professional basketball player. I could never, I could never stuff the ball when (laughs) I was younger, no matter what. Just can't jump. But, but if it's something within, you know, my strike zone, if it's something that I can do, then I think there's a logical set of steps to achieve any goal. So just know. By making positive, constructive choice after positive, constructive choice and taking logical step after logical step, you know, you really can achieve your dreams. And that's where my optimism comes from because whatever I look, whenever there's a goal that I want to achieve, big or small, the first thing I do is I say, okay, what's the choreography? What's the way to get there to maximize my time, my energy, and my talent?
0: I feel so inspired now. This is awesome. (laughs) Ken, thank you so much. Ken Lindner is our guest. The book is Career Choreography, Your Step-by-Step Guide to Finding the Right Job and Achieving Huge, not just Success, Huge Success Mm -hmm. and Happiness, the most important point. Yes.
1: Well, Cooper and Anthony, it's been a pleasure.
0: Thank, thank you, you, so, you much, so much, Ken. Thank you, really. You're thank welcome. you for your time and thank you for all this amazing information. I feel really inspired now. I don't even I don't even know what else we can possibly do with this show, but let's, Anthony, let's find something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank. You. I'm glad and really it's great. And your questions were wonderful. It's really been fun.